Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another evening, this Tuesday evening, where we have the opportunity to reflect upon the Church Fathers. And this evening, tonight, we have uh, the wonderful figure of St. Isidore of Seville. And you know, I think it was three weeks ago, I made the point that we are now phasing out of using that phrase, the Church Fathers, in the classical sense. Well, let me say that uh, St. Isidore of Seville is the figure that, when you go to the Chronicles of the Church Fathers in antiquity, he is usually the last name. So we can say definitively, tonight we will conclude our study on the Church Fathers within the context of those men who belong to the Church Fathers in antiquity. Certainly we will continue our reflection into the great thinkers of our Christian faith, but uh, tonight definitively wraps our study up of the Church Fathers as they stand in antiquity. And I will do this uh, with John O'Hara. John is uh, back from his three-week vacation, at least from this radio program. (laughs) So, John, great to have you back with me. Thank you, Joe. It's good to be back. So, uh, John, one St. Isidore of Seville. It's a funny thing to think about all of the great Church Fathers that we've been talking about, and now we've arrived at that figure, at that person, at that saint who uh, wraps this study up. And I do think that uh, in in many ways, uh, what we will talk about tonight really is one of the great messages of the Church Fathers, and by that I mean the way in which we are called to approach the faith within the context of the contemplative life and the active life. So, John, what can we say about St. Isidore of Seville? St. Isidore of Seville, just to remind the listeners, Seville is in southern Spain. It might be a hundred miles north of the Straits of Gibraltar, so that's where the city was located. And uh, at that time, it was what, probably the greatest center of learning in the Mediterranean world, which mm-hmm. is, you know, that, that the centers have moved around from Alexandria to Rome, to, now we're in Seville. Um, <clears throat> He was uh, born around 560, and he died in 636, so we're talking about a 6th and 7th century uh, father of the church. He was born to wealth. The library in that home was extensive, and these were not books, these were scrolls. Mm -hmm. And did he have some siblings, three (laughs) saints plus himself. His uh, brother Leander was the bishop of Seville before uh, Isidore was. He had another brother called Fulgentius, St. Fulgentius, another Mm -hmm. bishop, and if you go through your Liturgy of the Hours, you'll see various pieces by St. Fulgentius. Then he had a sister, St. Florentina. She was an abbess of, in the book I read, many, uh, many convents. Okay, mm-hmm. so well, this is a Catholic family. And uh, Leander, the older brother, was his mentor. And uh, according to the books I read, Leander was a strict uh, teacher. Mm-hmm. And we read a lot of classics, Christian and pagan. Mm-hmm. And he was also Leander's assistant. And then when Leander died, Isidore became the Bishop of Seville. From about 600 to uh, 636, he was the Bishop of Seville. Mm-hmm. And he was both, and we'll get into this later, a contemplative, and he was active. He wanted to be contemplative, but 
you, you can't, you know, he couldn't do that. He was quite effective in politics. The Visigoths were a, and we've heard of them before mm-hmm. this, but they, they were quite active in Spain. And due to his help, the king of the Visigoths, uh, a gentleman by the name of Hermengild, converted mm-hmm. from Arianism to regular Catholicism. And the other Visigoths followed suit. And that was a big help in making Spain Catholic. He was a, a quite a good writer. He wrote a 20-volume uh, encyclopedia. He, found, he got two councils together, the Council of Seville, the Council of Toledo. He, they had a uniform liturgy. He put the uh, Liturgy of the Hours into the Spanish of the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was considered to be the best known intellect of his time. He was friends of Gregory the Great, as was his older brother, Leander. Remember, Gregory the Great died in 604. So while Isidore was uh, a little bit young, actually quite a bit younger, they knew each other and, um, and thought the same about the church. Mm-hmm. He left behind him quite a bit of writing. These fathers of the church set a pattern that the rest of the church followed, and he set it in Spain. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you think of Spain, one of the most Catholic countries in the world, and they're still pretty Catholic, and if we think about 100 years after St. Isidore Seville died, the Arabs crossed the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. and that's another part of history which we'll get into later. Sure, Spain sure. remained Catholic and successfully fought back uh, Muslim invasion. And if I could just say one little thing and I'll be done, the major battle took place around 730, one of the most important battles in European history, and I think it was Charles Martel defeated. Yes. This was in southern France and pushed them back somewhat, and that was as far as the Muslims got. And I remember a history uh, lecture from 1963 back at Berkeley, <laughs> and the professor said the re- one of the reasons Charles Martel won that battle is he had a new mm. technology, the stirrup for his mm. horse saddle. So mm-hmm. anyway, you can think of that what you want to. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, you know, the Catholicity of Spain today is very much owed to the figure we will talk about tonight, along with his family, yes. um, for sure. And speaking of family, once again... We have this come through pretty strong, another church father whose pedigree is extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. And and let us just think about this for a little bit here, John. Why does a family produce so many great saints? Well, you create this atmosphere of charity, you create this atmosphere of truth. Benedict XVI makes the point that what you had in, in a home like that was an atmosphere of intense devotion, intense prayer intense study. Certainly, they would have also had their game playing, you know, they they weren't so rigid that they didn't, you know, understand the importance of that kind of thing, but there was that singular focus on Jesus Christ, and (laughs) when you have that coming out from a family, uh, then, yeah, you're going to produce four saints. It's really an extraordinary thing, and, and I could never make the point enough that you know, one of the great phrases that John Paul II talked about, as well as Benedict XVI, and Pope Francis used it in his most recent document, The Joy of the Gospel, is how the family is the cell to society. Well, if the family is the cell to society, which it is, right, <laughs> then we need to renew the family, and it is important for us to appreciate the dynamic of what a Catholic and Christian family ought to look like, the, this singular Uh, like focus on the person of Jesus Christ. It will impact everything that we do. How are we spending our time uh, in our families? So important. 
And how about the, the fact that here we have another great friendship? Not only did they know each other, St. Isidore of Seville and St. Gregory the Great, but they were actually quite close friends. So here we are talking about the importance of the significance of the family. How about holy friendships? I think it was some two, three months ago, John, we were talking about St. Basil and St. Gregory of Nazianzus. Beautiful huh? friendships. Yeah, a very holy friendship. And here you have another holy friendship and one that impacted St. Isidore a great, great deal. In fact, uh, some uh, historians have noted that St. Gregory the Great was uh, the greatest influence upon St. Isidore of Seville. So obviously very important. Who you associate with goes a long, long way. When you think of St. Basil, St. Gregory of Nazianzus, and St. Gregory of Nyssa, what a great group of people to be oh, with. Oh, extraordinary. And I, I think a lot of us are followers, and we follow the milieu we're in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that milieu doesn't determine us, but it has a huge influence on us. And uh, they were fortunate to be in a great milieu, and that's why society and culture is so important. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a byproduct of how we are spending our time behind closed doors in many ways. It's, it's an outgrowth of it. I was talking, John, there about the importance of who we associate with. I, you know, for our listening audience, let's just simplify this. <laughs> I was thinking on my way over here today, here in the United States of America, uh, the NFL has just wrapped up its season, and, you know, football teams have lost six or seven coaches. And I was listening to someone talk about this, and they are really placing an emphasis on coaching trees. So, okay, if I'm a head coach of a football team or if I'm a head coach of a soccer team, I'm going to have five or six or seven assistant coaches. Uh, Well, if you've done well, then uh, a certain organization is going to turn to that team with that coach because they've seen that coach have a great deal of success. So, for example, in the NFL, maybe a coach like Bill Belichick of of the New England Patriots. He has quite uh, the coaching tree. A lot of his assistants have succeeded. So as these assistants are going through the interview process, they're going to interview the assistant coach, but who are they going to talk to? Well, the coach, Bill Belichick, right? And they're going to, to talk to him uh, because they can trust him. You know, if this assistant can really claim a strong friendship or strong association with this head coach, it will serve him well. So associations are important. Now, why am I talking about this? Because again, St. Isidore's closest associations, alongside of his saintly siblings, of course, was one St. Gregory the Great, and he had a huge impact upon his life uh, because of the greatness of their holy friendship. I I can't help but think about one C.S. Lewis and Tolkien, another very holy Christian friendship. C.S. Lewis himself has credited Tolkien with being instrumental in his conversion into the Christian faith. Uh, A a very dynamic relationship there. I'm thinking about my time I spent at Oxford University, John. I I was at a college that was about five or six blocks away from the Eagle and Child pub. The Eagle and Child pub is where the Inklings met, and of course the Inklings was uh, the group that both C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien belonged to. And to be able to go into that pub and look at the walls, and they have pictures framed of, of the Inklings meeting, and there's Lewis, and there's Tolkien, and it's pretty unique. You know, it, it's quite extraordinary. And uh, to take stock in the importance of what holy friendships can produce is, is to make note that, again, C.S. Lewis authored what great series but the Chronicles of Narnia uh, in and through the constructive criticism of uh, Tolkien alongside of the other Inklings, and 
of course, we all know that Tolkien gives us Lord of the Rings. So uh, just a fascinating tidbit, not only of history, but again, to highlight the importance of holy friendships and the fruit they can bear. From, uh, we had already mentioned Basil and Gregory. How about uh, St. Francis of Assisi and St. Clair of Assisi? How about St. Teresa of Avalon, St. John of the Cross? You know, we have a wonderful 20th century relationship between two figures who I bet my bottom dollar we will be talking about 100 years from now, uh, one Hanser's von Balthasar and one Adrian von Speyer. I don't want to digress too far here, but holy friendships are very important, and certainly uh, this was very important to the life of St. Isidore of Seville in light of his friendship with one uh, St. Gregory the Great. That's, uh, there's a little life lesson in that, and we should cultivate friends which are going to stimulate us and spur us forward. St. Isidore uh, established cathedral schools in his time. Now, mm-hmm. remember, this is where the university, the university came from. If you go back to the University of Paris, that was a cathedral school. He established cathedral schools, and he was quite demanding a priest. If you wanted to be a priest, you had to be a, a you know, pretty good student. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm not saying that just because you're a good student, you're holy. That's not the case at all. Mm-mm. Although, when we look at the fathers of the church, you begin to think that, but that is not the case. And uh, he knew the value of a good, solid education, and he knew the fact that what is the purpose of education is to find truth, and what is the Catholic Church? It is truth. Mm-hmm. I think that's what its value is. Well, and it brings us back to St. Augustine's great phrase, does it not, John? You know, the more I come to understand, the more I believe, and the more I believe, the more I come to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is why um, knowledge is a very good thing. Being formed in the faith is a very good thing, because when we do this, then it increases our faith. It doesn't give us faith. Faith is first a gift given to us from God, and second, an act. And that act, of course, is trust, the most concrete act and virtue of faith. But this faith is built up the more we come to know the person of Jesus Christ. And why, John, let's think about this. The more you study the person of Jesus Christ, and certainly this was at the heart of St. Isidore of Seville when he builds these schools, the more we come to know about the person of Jesus Christ, the more reasons we have to fall in love with Jesus Christ. It's, it's the nature of any courtship. The more we get to know the other person, the more we fall in love with that person. And certainly this is a truth that comes to us not only from St. Isidore of Seville, but all of the Church Fathers, is it not, John? Going back to the early Fathers, Clement of Rome, Mm. uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch, all of these, remember, Christ left the earth, and and the Gospel eventually got written down, and then what are you going to do? That's where the Fathers come in. Mm -hmm. They got this thing going despite persecution, and, and somehow or another, they investigated what really was going, what really did Christ leave us? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and what a marvelous job they did. And now we're getting to St. Isidore down into 636, and we are getting this faith fleshed out. Mm-hmm. So that, and, and I mean, it's been around for 2,000 years. How many movements have come and gone in that time? Yeah, and, and it's a uh, great point, John. I mean, the, the reason is the Holy Spirit, not because, not because of men. But uh, these fathers, I mean, th- think of the people that founded our own country. We call mm-hmm. you know, the fathers of, the, of our own country. They understood what this church was, That's and right. somehow they got it. They just explained it very well. Yeah, you mentioned the date, John 636, 600 years after the death of Christ, and the Catholic Church is still strong in that apostolic continuity. 
Here we are today, 2,000 years later, still strong, and how you mentioned the Holy Spirit, under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, who is the lead protagonist of the Church, who gives us the power to bear witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. And it was this such explanation that the likes of St. Clement of Rome, uh, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, and so many others talked about so that we might better understand, better understand the language and beauty of our faith today. Uh, so very important. Another conflict that has already been alluded to that St. Isidore Seville had was the conflict between active life and contemplation or prayer. Mm -hmm. Because he would have preferred prayer, as many of our fathers would have, Gregory the Great being one of them, mm -hmm. uh, St. Augustine being another one, except that uh, the responsibility of being a bishop and all of the deadlines and pressures that go with that job, they had to take up, and mm -hmm. they did. Mm -hmm. So he was always in conflict between uh, prayer and the act of light that was required of a bishop. And in one of his little uh, encyclopedia things, he had th this quote, and I'm reading this from um, his feast day is April the 4th, and in the uh, Liturgy of the Hours, the Office of Reading, here is one of his quotes from his uh, Book of Maxims. So these are like, these are Proverbs, Maxims. Mm -hmm. Here's one. Prayer purifies us. Reading instructs us. Both are good when both are possible. Otherwise, prayer is better than reading. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so interesting. Yeah. So he understands well the foundation of the contemplative life, that ultimately, as we've spoken about it before, John, that what we do must always yield to the interior life. How we go about living our faith must always come out of our life of prayer, um, because ultimately to neglect prayer is to neglect the ministry that we are called to, because again, as we've spoken to it before, uh, not every good is a willed good. And so as to detect the willed good, the good that God wants us to do, we have to be informed in a living relationship with God. And you said it, you know, you used the word conflict. There was a tension, but I would say a healthy tension. You had mentioned Augustine, you had mentioned Gregory. Yeah, from, from Basil to, to St. Augustine, uh, from St. Benedict to, to St. Gregory, you have these men who struggled with this almost interior conflict, this interior tension of how much to pray, how much to be out in the world. All of those saints certainly saw the beautiful symmetry that exists between uh, contemplation and the act of life, that beautiful uh, organic synthesis almost of how one feeds upon the other. But we could say, as I noted off the top, John, that if the Church Fathers have a lasting message for us, among other things certainly stands this, that there is a profound organic synthesis that is to abide in every man of faith, in every woman of faith, as it relates to contemplation and action. One forms and informs the other, and this certainly is what St. Isidore captures. He struggled with this a great deal. Benedict brings this out, and I know he's got a number of quotes here. I want to read at least one. He says, as he turns his attention towards uh, the person of Jesus Christ, of course, uh, for kind of a, a definitive confirmation of what a just orientation of life ought to look like, he says, The Savior Jesus offers us the example of active life when during the day he devoted himself to working signs and miracles in the town. But he showed the contemplative life 
when he withdrew to the mountain and spent the night in prayer. It's interesting. My memory tells me that on 14 separate occasions in the gospel, he withdraws. Right? So he's constantly withdrawing. He's constantly recharging the battery. Uh, and he's doing so because he knows, obviously, and he teaches us, uh, that to do the willed good, he must first be informed in what the Father is desiring. As I recall the first chapter of Mark, around verse 32, Jesus withdraws mm-hmm. to a place to pray. And I remember coming across that thing early and marking, wow. Now, you alluded to a little earlier ago about football. Okay, mm-hmm. well, football was pretty big. A lot of people watched it. And mm-hmm. you can watch football and you get all the, yeah, wow. Well, <laughs> you know, you can do that. And now, what is our life like afterward? You turn off the football gate? No, that's still with us. Mm-hmm. It's with our, it's in our, it's in our mindset, in our reveries, in our, uh, you know, you know, we may dream about going back and being a linebacker. Okay, those mm-hmm. things are with us. Mm-hmm. You can also say things about the news. You can watch the news and get all riled up about this or that politician. Yes. yes. Okay. Now, what does all of this stuff do to our spiritual life? Mm-hmm. And I think these things need to be, we need to attend to. Yes. Uh, what, and that's why contemplation and prayer is so important, because we spend a lot of our time going out into the world, and they see us. And we want to appear to be the good Christian men and women that we should be, that Christ expects us to be. And that's why contemplation and prayer can help us do that. That's right. And amen to that point, John. We can spend four to six hours in front of a television watching a football game, as you noted, or or, or watching maybe um, some news on on some mainstream media. And and it's good to be informed on what's going on in the world, and it might even be good to, you know, kick up your feet and and watch a little bit of a ball game. I don't know, but uh, what's not good is to overdo it in any of those areas. And I think today there's a great intemperance, there's a great imbalance in this area, and you better believe it. What you feed grows. What is seen on the outside world is only a reflection, again, of how we spend our time inside our home. And if we are spending uh, an uber amount of hours watching television, then we begin to kind of reflect this. You know, we begin to reflect who and what we spend our time with. So if it's Jesus Christ before the Blessed Sacrament, ah, now that's the game changer. Okay, (laughs) And because now if we're spending two to three hours before Jesus Christ, contemplating the person of Jesus Christ in his life, the Spirit will inspire within us to, to do the right thing. Um, you know, I think we were talking a, l- a little bit about this before, John. If you're watching, say, uh, three or four hours of, foot- of a football game, you're going to be imbued with three or four hours of the stuff of football. And so then when you go to the local coffee shop, what are you going to do? You're going to want to talk about that game of football versus those three to four hours that we could have spent in prayer with Jesus or maybe just doing some spiritual reading, you're going to go to the coffee shop and you're going to want to talk about that spiritual reading. Maybe you were reading the stuff of St. Isidore of Seville, right? Mm. <laughs> and you're going to want to talk about what he had to say about the contemplative life and the active life. So uh, what you feed grows. Uh, we need to take stock in the importance of contemplation and uh, what that leads to as it relates to you know who John O'Hara is, who Joe Holcraft is, and, and who we um, are called to be in light of our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. This is very, very important. And you had mentioned that uh, you, you gave that soundbite on prayer, John. When we understand that prayer is simply conversation with God, courtship with God, we are made to see then that contemplation itself 
is that contemplative gaze. I think of my wife. Uh, I get the question asked a lot, Joe, how do you contemplate something? <laughs> what does contemplation look like? Well, in the spirit of St. John, John Vianney, I look at him, he looks back at me. I say, you know, I can be across from my wife over the dinner table and just look at her, stare at her, gaze at her, and I am struck by her beauty, and I find myself falling more in love with her. Right. There is a power, an almost kind of energy behind someone beholding beauty. And of course, there's no one thing greater and more beautiful than the person of Jesus Christ. So when you are gazing upon the person of Jesus Christ, the beauty of Jesus Christ, you are going to fall more in love with Jesus Christ. And this is the power behind contemplation. So yeah, we talk about spending an X amount of hours watching this or that, and then an X amount of hours you know, with Jesus Christ, I think it becomes almost a no-brainer. And I'm mea culpa here, John. You know, I'm not accusing anyone because we all fall short in this area, but we have to challenge ourselves. We have to challenge ourselves, and certainly St. Isidore uh, is one that challenges us. He says, and and maybe we can close with this, John, another great quote, he says, "Uh, "...therefore, let the servant of God, imitating Christ, dedicate himself to contemplation without denying himself active life. Behaving otherwise would not be right. And there you said it, John. (laughs) Behaving otherwise would not be right. Indeed, just as we must love God in contemplation, so we must love our neighbor with action. It is therefore impossible to live without the presence of both the one and the other form of life, nor can we live without experiencing both the one and the other. Amen to that. Amen. In God for others. It's, it's the two great commandments. This is what lies at the heart of our faith. In God for other, And to see that, that beautiful symbiosis of the two. You know, John, if you had any closing thoughts. Yeah, this is one of these saints that kind of makes you think, wow. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. I mean, very learned. Again, I want to point out that you do not need to be uh, have a high SAT scores to be holy or to yes. be a good Christian. That's, yes. not, that's not the deal. Amen. Isabel Isidore was good for him. Yeah. And many of our fathers were great. I'm glad they were there. I think what I get from Isidore is action and prayer together mm-hmm. and have each inform the other. So when I go out, my prayer life is informing my conversation with others. And when I go to before Christ, either in my home or in church, you know, they are informing me. So yeah, he's, he's an example. Uh, he's, um, a little frightening to a degree, <laughs> but that's okay. That's yeah. fine. I mean, Gregory the Great, wow. I mean, yeah. you know. They, yeah. But I'm glad they were there, and I'm glad they gave the example they did, and I'm glad they did what they did for the church that they did. Mm-hmm. And realizing it really wasn't them, it was the Holy Spirit and their cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, amen. You know, I, just by way of postscript, John, I'm, I'm thinking about the reading we had from this past Sunday for the Epiphany. The, the Magi followed the stars, but they were wise men because they followed Jesus, right. you know, and that's, that's what lies at the heart of your point there as it relates to SAT scores. <laughs> All right, let us close the word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.